Well, good morning, church family. So this month marks my 12th year as the pastor of Grace Baptist Church. When I first landed here those years ago, one of the common questions I received was this. So, Pastor, when are you going to do the book of Revelation? And I answered the question this way. I said, well, Revelation is the last book of the Bible, so I imagine it'll be the last book of my ministry here. Well, now here we are, turning to the book of Revelation together. For the sake of anyone who may be concerned, I feel that I should make clear I have no intention of leaving Grace Baptist Church after this series concludes. In fact, in my office back there, I have a ministry calendar that runs 40 years, and by the grace of God, I plan to see that calendar through. But given the times that we're living in, I thought it would be good for us to turn to this book now instead of waiting until the end of my career. This being the first sermon in the series, we're simply going to look at the prologue to the book. That's found in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seats, you'll find that on page 1028. It's a small text this morning, but it's packed with information. In fact, within these opening verses, we find a discussion of this book's nature, its provenance, its target audience, its general content, and we even find an incentive for studying the book together. So I trust you found your way there. I'd like to begin with a word of prayer, and then we will consider this text. Let's pray now. So our Father, we do come to you with gratitude in our hearts for another Lord's Day. We thank you for allowing us to gather together. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. This being Worker Appreciation Sunday, Lord, I give you my, my personal thanks for every single individual who has made Grace Baptist Church his or her home. Thank you for their, their work of love, for their partnership in the gospel. Thank you for the impact that they have made, Lord. The city of Marshall and all surrounding towns are, are forever changed for the better because of the ministry of these people. Lord, give them many more fruitful years of ministry in this church. Lord, our hearts are also heavy today as, as we commemorate the anniversary of 9-11. We do pray that you would be with all those who are mourning. We pray, Lord, that they might find hope in the gospel and that if they are listening today, they might find hope in the book of Revelation. Lord, please be with us this morning as we begin our series through this book. Lord, give me clarity as I speak. I want this book to be understandable. Lord, I pray that you would open the minds and the hearts of all who are listening. Lord, might they be ready to receive the truths of this book. We pray that you would use it in our discipleship, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so again, we are looking at the book's prologue this morning. That's chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And as we turn to the passage, we find that it begins with a statement about the nature of this book. In other words, it answers the question of what kind of a book this is. Notice those opening words. It says, this book is the revelation 
of Jesus Christ. Notice that word, revelation. This is the translation of the Greek word apocalypsis. It's where we get our English word apocalypse from. This is the title of the book. It's also a description of its nature. And the word literally means to unveil or to uncover. So perhaps with your mind's eye right now, you can picture yourself in a theater. Uh, before the play begins, the curtain is drawn over the stage. You cannot see what lies behind. Then the time finally comes, and the, the lights are dimmed, the music starts, the curtain is lifted, and now the whole stage is there before your eyes. You see the actors, the actresses, you see the, the entire scene before you. What was once hidden has now been manifest. Well, that's what we have here in the book of Revelation. Only it's not a stage play, it's a body of truth. The book of Revelation is a body of truth which was long hidden from God's people, but now it has been revealed to us, hence the word revelation. So friends, as we prepare to work through this book together, let's go in realizing what a privileged people we are. I mean, from the dawn of humanity until the end of the first century A.D., God's people did not have the information contained in this book. But we do have it. This is a wonderful time in history to be alive. We are truly a privileged people to have this body of truth now made known to us. And it's here for our good. But friends, this is the nature of the book. It is revelation. But now we come to the provenance of the book. This answers the question, where did the revelation come from? And again, we find our answer in the opening verse. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now that last phrase there, of Jesus Christ, that is a subjective genitive, which means that it's telling us where this information came from. So the book is Revelation, and the revealer of it was the Lord Jesus Christ. He did the revealing. Friends, this should make the book all the more precious to you. To know that the contents of this book, long hidden but now made known, that this material comes to us directly from the Son of God. More than that, from the one who lived and died and rose again for our sakes. The one who is now enthroned in heaven at his Father's right hand. The one who is interceding for us as I speak to you now. This is the one who revealed the contents of Revelation. But then notice the verse goes on. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. So Christ is the revealer of the book's contents, but God the Father is the ultimate source of its contents. See, friends, the Bible teaches us that the one God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that each member or person of the trinity has his own special role. The Scriptures teach us that God the Father decrees all that shall come to pass. God the Son, Jesus Christ, is the revealer and the 
the executor of the Father's decrees. And then God the Holy Spirit assists Father and Son in the revealing and the execution. And so that's what we see here. The the book of Revelation is a body of truth, once hidden, now revealed, revealed by Christ as he received it from his Father. But then we note one final detail about the book's provenance, very end of verse 1. It says, and he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So God's the decreer of its contents, Jesus Christ, the revealer. And now we see John is the recorder or the writer of this book. And John is called a servant of Christ in this verse. The Greek word used here is doulos. Some of you may know that word. It literally means bond slave. Trouble is that the word bond slave is offensive in our culture, and so most English Bible versions choose servant instead. It's a less offensive euphemism. But literally it says a, a bond slave. But friends, there is nothing offensive or demeaning about being called a bond slave of Christ. In fact, this is the highest and holiest title that anyone could ever attain to be the bond slave of the Son of God. What that means is that you are one of God's special people, that He chose you, that He purchased you with His own blood, that He has given you a new life and a new purpose. It means that He has called you into His service. To be a bond slave of Jesus is nothing demeaning. It is a high, precious title. What a privilege it is to be a bond slave of God's Son. And that's what John was. But in the New Testament Scriptures, John also carries another title. He's called an apostle of Christ. And that's the John who wrote this book. Not John the Baptist, not any other John. This is John the Apostle. The apostles were 12 men handpicked by Christ to lay the foundation of the New Testament church. The apostles were tasked with preaching, teaching, establishing the first churches, and writing our New Testament scriptures. So John the Apostle was elected to write down the contents of the book of Revelation. At the time the apostle John wrote this book, he was in his 90s. The year was about A.D. 95. John was the last living apostle, and at the time of the writing of this book, he was living in exile on a little island called Patmos out in the Mediterranean Sea. See, John had been persecuted for being faithful to Jesus Christ. At the end of his life, he was sent off to an island prison in the middle of the sea, but it was there... It was there that Christ revealed to him the contents of this book, and now we have it before us. And we see that John the Apostle was a faithful recorder of all that he saw and heard. Look at verse 2. It says, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So John the Apostle was elected to record its contents, and he did it, everything that John saw, 
Everything he heard, everything that Christ wanted God's people to know, he put it down to paper. And so as we consider this book, friends, let us give thanks to God for choosing such a faithful man to give us this book, a man who wrote down exactly what he saw and heard. Friends, let's also remember that you are never too old to be used of God in great ways. If John the Apostle was still useful to the Lord in his 90s, then any of us can be of use to the Lord too. We just need to be faithful, committed to Him, available to Him. God can use us. But this is the book of Revelation, my friends. It is a body of truth, once hidden but now revealed. A a body of truth revealed by God the Son, as He received it from God the Father. A book recorded for us by John the Apostle. And now it is here in our hands. And in fact, this book was written for us. It was written for us. Look again at verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. To show his servants. There's our word doulos again, bond slave, but this time it's not talking about the Apostle John. It's talking about all of us. See, in this context, bond slave is being used as just a synonym for Christians. We are all bond slaves of Christ. And again, what a high and holy title we possess to know that every single Christian, true, born-again Christian, has Jesus for their master that they are owned by Him, bought by Him, that they are His servants. See, being a Christian is not just to have an intellectual understanding of the facts of the gospel. No, it is to be bought, body and soul, by Christ, to be in His service, and willingly so. This book was recorded by one of God's bondservants for other bond servants, other bond slaves. It was given by Christ to make us worthy bond slaves of Him, to help us, to help us in our service, to become better, better followers of Him. And so as we begin this series, we say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us a book that will help us serve you better. But what exactly do we find written in this book? What are the contents of Revelation? Well, again, we look at verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, now the content, the things that must soon take place. The things that must soon take place. That means that the book of Revelation is a book of prophecy. And in fact, that's stated explicitly in verse 3. Look down at that verse with me. It says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Book of Revelation is a book of prophecy. Now in the Bible, prophecy has two senses to it. It involves first, declaring God's will. But then secondly, disclosing God's plans. And here in the book of Revelation, we find both. 
There are chapters devoted to the, the de- declaring of God's moral will for his people. Now we've got other chapters disclosing God's future plans for this world and for his people. But friends, the dominant theme by far is that second one, God's plans for the future. And the book is particularly concerned with those events surrounding the second coming of Christ. You understand that Christ came once already. That's his first coming. He came in humility, born of the Virgin Mary, born in a manger, lived a life of sinless perfection, but a very humble life. And he came to earth that first time to secure our salvation by living, dying, and then rising again for us. But there is a second coming of Christ, which we are still awaiting. He will not come in humility this next time. He will come in power and glory. He will come from the clouds. He will come for his people. He will come to judge the world of unbelief and to set up his kingdom over all things. And the book of Revelation is primarily concerned with those events immediately preceding and following in all the events attendant with the second coming of Christ. His coming as king to establish his kingdom over all. You can see that clearly enough in the opening verses. In fact, if you'll just drop your eyes down to verse 7 of chapter 1. The verse says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. That's a verse about the second coming of Christ. But then the very end of the book of Revelation touches on the same theme. In chapter 22, verse 20, our Lord Jesus declares, Behold, I am coming soon. And then the reply comes back, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So the opening verses of this book deal with the return of Christ. The final verses of the book deal with the return of Christ. Friends, everything in between the first chapter and the last chapter are prophecies of events which will immediately proceed and follow and which are attendant with His return. That's what we have in the book of Revelation. Friends, along with that theme of the second coming we also have a major emphasis on the imminence of Christ's coming. The imminence of His coming, meaning that He could come at any moment. And so John writes here in verse 1, the things that must soon take place. And then down in, at the end of verse 3, the time is near. Of course, I just quoted the final verses of this book. Behold, I am coming soon. These these words, soon and near, they are meant to communicate that, that He could come back for His people at any time now. It could have been within the Apostle John's lifetime, could be within our lifetime, but it is near. It is any moment now. And friends, this represents a huge shift from earlier Bible books. Those of you who are here for our series through Daniel, the Old Testament book, do you remember there were just a couple of prophecies in there about the second coming of Christ? But do you remember how Christ's return was was described in those verses? It said it was, quote, for the latter days, and, quote, 
at the time of the end. The, the impression given was Christ's second coming, establishment of his kingdom on earth, those things were a long way off from Daniel's lifetime, way out into the future. And even in Jesus' lifetime, during his first advent, in Matthew 24, as he's talking about these things, he says the events are, quote, not yet. Again, implying that there will be some distance before before his second coming. But now we come to the last book of the Bible, book of Revelation, written in A.D. 95. Christ has come, he's died, he's risen, he's now ascended into heaven, sitting at the right hand of his Father. The church has been established, the Great Commission has gone out, disciples are being made of all the nations, and now, at this point in history... The prophecy is, I am coming soon. You see, this is something new in Bible prophecy. John is communicating to us that all of the other prophecies of Scripture have now been fulfilled. Every one of them. The only thing left is for this to happen. For Christ to come back for his people and to begin that chain of events which will culminate in the everlasting kingdom of God being established upon the earth. But you'll notice something else about the wording here. It says, I am coming soon. I'm coming any time. But he does not give us a specific date either. He says, could be any moment but maybe not. Maybe not today. So the book is very careful to avoid giving us any specific time stamp. We know that it could be any time, but it may not be today. And friends, this is all done on purpose. God has intentionally left us in a situation here where we know that Christ could come at any moment, but we don't know precisely what the date will be. And he does that so that we will live with a sense of urgency about our lives. First of all, a sense of urgency about our own spiritual state. You see, if, if you know that Christ could come back any time, he could, he could come back for us before I finish this sermon. If you know that, doesn't it behoove you to make sure that you're right with God right now? If you know that you are far from God, you're alienated from Him, your sins are unforgiven, you are not in in a proper state before Him, you know you're not one of His bond slaves, doesn't it behoove you to deal with that right now? To repent of sin, to trust in Christ, to come under His Lordship. Because you don't know He could come today. No, friends, the return of Christ is going to be for some, the best day of their lives. To see Christ, to be with Him. But for others, it's going to be the worst day of their lives because they waited too long and now they are facing judgment from a holy God. God that they knew but shunned their whole life long. Oh, it's going to be a glorious day for some, but awful for others. 
And friend, knowing that he might come back at any time and that that could either be your best day ever or your worst day ever, don't you want to get right with God? Forsake your sins and come and trust him. This is one of the reasons why God leaves us in suspense, not giving us the exact date, but saying, it's soon, it's any time. We've got to take these matters seriously. But then it also gives we who are Christians a sense of urgency about the Great Commission. Listen, our Lord has given us a task. He says, from now until I return, you need to be going into the nations, making disciples of Christ. Well, there's no time for us to be lackadaisical about that mission. We don't know how much time we've got, and we know he wants us to make disciples. So we've got to be urgent about the task. We've got to be investing our time, talents, resources, everything we have to give for this mission. Let's get this mission done. We want our Lord to find us busy about His work when He returns, not to find us indifferent to His cause. You know, something else this does for us, it also makes every moment of our lives important because every day we live could be our last day on the earth. Friends, if if a doctor came to you today, and if he said to you, I know with certainty that this is your last day on earth. I'm looking at the progress of your disease. This is it. Would you live differently? Would you spend your time differently? Are there people that you would want to talk to that day? There are certain things that you would want them to know. Wouldn't it be different from a typical day if you knew that that was your very last one? Wouldn't it make that day that much more important to get it right? Well, friends, the book of Revelation tells us that today could be our last day. Maybe not, but he's coming soon. It could be. Shouldn't that change the way that you look at today? And if you do make it through the day and you go to bed tonight and you wake up tomorrow morning and you've been granted a new day, won't it make that day different? Or at least, shouldn't it make that day different? Will you not want to seize every moment that you're given? Don't you want to use it for for a useful cause? Don't you want to be about the Lord's work? Shouldn't it prompt you to waste less of that precious time? You see, God has put us in a situation where there is a sense of urgency about our lives, about our our spiritual state, about completing the work of the biblical mission, about how we spend our time day to day. But you know, it does one more thing for us too. It causes us to keep our eyes fixed on the clouds. It causes us to be less concerned with questions like, what shall I eat? What shall I drink? What shall I wear? Keeps our eyes fixed upward where Christ is. Keeps our mind fixed upon Him and His priorities to make those the driving issues of life. To put lesser things where they belong as lesser things in our lives. That's what this book does for us. All right, so now we've seen the nature of this book, we've seen its provenance, its target audience. We've seen something of the content of the book and how the book leaves us in suspense. It does so for a reason. 
But then there's one final thing to consider here. That is the incentive the book leaves us with. This answers the question, why should I spend time studying the book of Revelation? Well, look at verse 3. Here's why. It says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. You know, this is the only book in the Bible that offers a direct blessing to the one who will study it. So Revelation must be a really important book. The word translated blessed here means to be happy, or privileged, or even divinely favored. The writer here says to those who will make the effort to read this book, to study it, to hold fast to its message, to believe in it and shape their lives by it, to those people, they will become a happy people, privileged people. They will be people that God looks upon with favor. And why would that be? Well, consider this. Humanity's two greatest fears are the fear of death and the fear of the unknown. Isn't that true? And these two fears are related to each other. Why do we fear the unknown? Because the unknown might be a danger to me. We fear death and we fear the unknown. But for those who will study the book of Revelation and take its words to heart, those fears are taken away or at least greatly diminished. Why? Because the book of Revelation discloses God's plans for our future. And it tells us that for the children of God, the future is glorious. It's not something to fear. It's something to anticipate. This book talks about the glories of heaven. It tells us that if we should die before our Lord comes for us, then our souls will go right into heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And this book tells us what heaven is like. It says that our our Lord Jesus is there in all of his heavenly glory. It tells us that Angels are there, angels with beauty beyond description. They surround the throne and worship Christ day and night. And there are other angels there. And they're beautiful and they're holy. And Revelation tells us that the saints who have gone before us are all there. They're all there and we will join their company when our time comes. It is not a fearful thing to die To die knowing the Lord is to have your body left behind, the body that was in a state of decay anyway, and the soul is to be in heaven with God, the angels, and the saints. What a glorious thing that is. This book also tells us about God's plans for the future of this world. And it tells us that God's plan for the world is bright as well. You see, God is going to remake the heavens and the earth. It's going to be even better than it was at the start. Back then, God created it in holiness, but it was capable of falling. When God recreates the world, it will be incapable of falling. Never again a chance of sin, sickness, or death touching it. The Bible describes what the kingdom of God will be like. Revelation tells us it will include plants and animals and rivers and trees and there will be music and art and cities and countrysides and the king will be Jesus himself and we will be there too in resurrected bodies. Christianity is unique in imposing a physical resurrection and renovation of all things. This world is forever 
The body is forever, and one day we will see Jesus with our own physical eyes. We will walk the streets of gold. We will enter the new Jerusalem with its gates of pearl. That is our future. And what is to be uh, afraid of if that is what lies in our future? Fear God if you don't know Him, or if you know you are separated from Him. But feel nothing but excitement if you do know Him. This is what awaits you. Yes, there will be times of war, persecution, and all that before the end comes. But friends, all of that will just make the glory of the future that much sweeter. As we walk away from a world of sin and death, step into the eternal state. You know, friends, most people also live in this world without hope. They have no hope. How could they have hope? The prevailing worldview of our culture is that this universe began with a big bang, that it's going to end with a big burnout, and that nothing that happens in between really matters. There's no truth and falsehood. There's no right and wrong. Everything just exists. No rhyme or reason to any of it. It's all about chance and random mutations. The fittest overtaking the weak. There's no meaning or purpose in a worldview like that. But friends, the book of Revelation confronts us with a different worldview. It teaches us about a God who is there. A God who has decreed all that shall come to pass. And who is good enough and strong enough to execute His decrees. And it's a book that tells us that the end of all God's plans are good. Good for His children, good for the world, good for the universe. My friends, this book should leave us feeling hopeful about the future. And friends, with a heart emptied of fear and full of hope, I believe you'll also find what you need to persevere through the difficult times of life before our Lord's return. I think of the words of the Apostle Paul from Romans chapter 8. Those were read earlier in the service. He said, I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing to the glories which shall follow. You see, if ever there was a man who could be depressed, Paul would be the man. He was a man who every time he entered a new city, people wanted to throw rocks at him. Right? And they did. Every time he got into a boat, the boat sank. (laughs) He had a miserable life. He was always suffering. If anyone could have been embittered, it would have been Paul. But he wasn't. As he looked at all of his life of hardship, which, by the way, would end with his beheading at the hands of the Romans, he says, all of that, it's nothing. It's nothing when I compare it to the glory that awaits You see, that's what a knowledge of God's plans for the future can do for you. It can put all of the sufferings of life in perspective. This is momentary. And comparatively speaking, it is light. It is easy. And then there's glory afterwards. See, friends, in all these ways and more, there is blessing for those who study the book of Revelation. You come through this book and you will be a happier person and more optimistic, more hopeful, more excited about the future, less afraid of of what may happen out there, less afraid of death itself. There's blessing for those who will study this book. 
So, friend, if I can conclude, the book of Revelation is a precious book. It is a body of truth, long hidden from God's people, but now revealed. It discloses God's future for His world and His people for the blessing of all who will take its words to heart. So, are you ready now to study this book with me? Are you ready to embrace all that it teaches? Are you ready to be blessed? Let's bow together in prayer now. Father, we thank you for the book of Revelation. What an amazing note to end our Bibles on. Prepare us for this series. Lord, work its hopeful words into our lives. Might it shape our perspective. Might it give us that sense of urgency, whether that is about about coming to your Son in faith and repentance, or whether it be about engaging wholeheartedly in the mission that he has left us here to complete. Whatever our need might be, Lord, might this book give us that impetus to get to work. And Lord, we do long for the return of your Son. We long for his coming for us. We long to see Him make everything that is wrong with the world right. We long for His kingdom to come. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.